Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for the Lord Jesus, and thank you for salvation, and thank you for your word. Thank you that you're worthy of our praise. But then, Lord, as I get even more personal, I thank you, Lord, for your work in my life. I thank you, Father, that you uh, have chosen to restore my strength, and I praise you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege I have to be called to Pastor Graceway and to preach the Word of God. I thank you, Father, that uh, you've given me the privilege to have a wonderful wife, to have children, and now for them to marry wonderful people and then to have grandchildren. I particularly pray for little Emma today on her fourth birthday, and we thank you for her. Then, Lord, I go even a step further, and I thank you so much that Brother Dale was able to be here today. Thank you that he is able to lead us in worship and teach a Sunday school class. Continue to give him strength. And we could say that also about other people in the congregation as well. Lord, you have been so good to heal and strengthen, to restore. And we just praise you that we can be together today and worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, our hearts go out for people around the world, particularly thinking about what are churches doing like ours in Ukraine? What is life like for them? And we forget sometimes that even in the hardest times of American life, it's still easier than it is in so many other places. And we don't ever want to forget there are brothers and sisters in Christ And we pray for them. And we pray for that whole mess over there, Lord. And we pray that you would resolve it and bring peace. My prayer would be, Lord, that you would send Russia back home. But your will be done. And I pray, Lord, that you would give the leaders involved in Russia and Ukraine wisdom. But, Lord, do the same for our government officials as well on the national, the state, and the local level. And I pray we would never forget to pray for them and to ask you to save them. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would also protect them and give them wisdom, Lord, so that you would bring a Daniel or a Joseph into their lives like you did Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh. And I pray, Father, that they would hear truth and they would respond to truth in the right way. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the kind of people we ought to be, first of all, as kingdom citizens, representing you. Secondly, as citizens of this land that you've given us, that we might be salt and light, and that we might be uh, biblical in everything that we do. And above all, that we might bring glory to your name through the way that we think, through the way that we're motivated, through the way that we act, And through the way that we speak to other people, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and giving praise to your name. And Lord, we know that you're not just sitting up in heaven waiting for us to do this, handicapped whether we do it or not. Thank you, Lord. You're already doing it. In fact, you'll be the one doing it through us. We're just presenting ourselves to be used by you. What a privilege and what an honor to be used by the King of the universe. And so, Lord, use this time together to open our understanding and let us know you better and serve you with more passion and zeal. 
because you really are our great king. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Exodus 34. We're moving along. Finally. You're not supposed to say that. Exodus 34. Verse 1 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to see Moses as he acts as a mediator between Israel and God in renewing the covenant that Israel has broken. Israel had affirmed a covenant that Moses had given to them orally. All that the Lord says we will do. Isn't it easy to say that? So easy to sing, I surrender all, and all of those kind of things. And they do, they're just like us. And it's not long Moses is gone getting the actual written copy of the Ten Commandments. And what are the people doing? Just in a short time after they said, all the Lord says we will do, they're building a golden calf, or Aaron did, and they're bowing down and they're worshiping it. And Moses comes down from the mountain and sees it, and he's so disgusted and disheartened, he breaks the tablets. Well, now the Lord has called him to come back up on the mountain again. And he says, this time, bring the tablets of stone with you, and uh, we'll see how that all works out. And uh, he begins to pray for the people. He's seen the glory of the Lord now. Remember that? And now because of the glory of God, he begins to pray and intercede for people. I wonder if we're not kind of the same way. The reason we don't pray is because we haven't seen the glory of the Lord. And when we see and understand the glory of the Lord, how can we help but be prayer warriors, intercessors, for other people. And that's where Moses is, and that's where his heart is. We see the gospel real clear in the Old Testament. If anybody ever tries to tell you that uh, the gospel and Christ and all of that, that's made up by New Testament uh, early church fathers, that type of thing, take them back thousands of years before the coming of Christ. Take them back to the book of Exodus, and they will see the gospel, the good news, and they'll see pictures of Jesus all through this book. That's why we like it. We see ourselves as the slaves in Egypt, but we see our deliverer and Moses, uh, a picture of Christ who delivered us out of the slavery of sin, and uh, all of these things that go on, and we're going to see him even more today. Let's go to chapter 34, and uh, let's just kind of get us acquainted with what we're going to see. In this passage... We're going to see some things, okay? I want you to be watching for them. We're going to see the absolute need of a mediator. So stop and think. Without Moses, where would Israel be? The same thing could be said without Jesus. Where would you be? Where would we be? And the truth of the matter is, Israel would have been forgotten, destroyed, and just in the ash heap of human history because of their sin, had it not been For the mediator, we need a mediator. We're also going to see the deception and sinfulness of our hearts. Why is it that anyone has to even plead our cause? Why is anyone having to defend us? It's because of our sin. And we can say, all the Lord says we'll do. I think Israel meant it when they said it. I think many times when we're in here in church and we commit ourselves to the Lord through a song or through a sermon or through a commitment, 
after a, a, a teaching from the Word of God, we mean it. It's just hard to mean it after we walk out of those doors because our hearts are sinful and unfaithful. We're also going to see the justice and the wrath, but also the mercy and the grace of God in this. They're both true. And you're either under one or under the other. And the whole world is under the wrath of God today, and most of the people on earth are under the wrath of God. But if you've trusted Him as your Savior and Lord, you are under the mercy and the grace of God. Both of those things are true about God. And another thing, and this is a great, great blessing to me, I want you to really, really pay attention to this and think about it. Our consistency is not the basis for our security. Now, it feels like it. And sometimes I feel better about praying. I feel better about doing things for the Lord if I've been consistent and I'm less likely to do them if I'm inconsistent. The truth of the matter is my security in Christ is not based upon my consistency nor my inconsistency. In fact, the truth is our consistency Consistence, inconsistency, I can say this, does not have the last word. Our mediator does. Think about that. When the devil accuses you in uh, the courts of heaven, your lifestyle does not have the last word. Your mediator does, and that is Christ, who is the one who is your advocate before the Father. So breathe a sigh of relief. You are secure in Him because of Him. He has the last word. And we're going to see that as we look in our scripture this morning. Now just to remind you of one that we looked at before. Jesus said in John chapter 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them, in the searching of them, you have eternal life. It was a works-based thing. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now let's make sure we all understand, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, they didn't have the New Testament yet. It was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua and Judges, so forth and so on. The Sadducees, were the ones who only accepted the first five books, the law of the Bible. They didn't think the rest were inspired. The Pharisees accepted all of it, all the books of the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you search because you think that in your knowledge of the Scripture and your ability to say, I've been in the Word every day and I've studied it, that that brings you eternal life. And yet you're missing the point. What did he say those Old Testament Scriptures do? They bear witness of me. And so they could see in there the plan of God. The idea of having a substitute, the innocent from the guilty, is uh, not a New Testament only concept. It was given very clearly in the, New Con- in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned and Innocent animal died and shed its blood, and the skin of that animal covered Adam and Eve. God was giving us a a little glimpse and a picture as the way this thing is going to work. And so we see that human beings, always sinners, always inconsistent, always in need 
of a sacrifice, in need of a mediator, in need of something to make them acceptable to God. And it's never us, and it's never what we do. And so these people read about all of this, study all of this in the Old Testament, and Jesus says, you're so dense, you don't even get it. It's testifying of me, and of my redemption, and of my coming. How could... A self-respecting Jew read Isaiah 53 and not trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. Even the gospel that we find that is written in Isaiah is so incredibly clear who it is talking about. And yet they were yelling out, crucify him, weren't they? And so they were testifying of Christ. And so that reminds us whenever we read the Old Testament, look for Jesus in it. Look for Jesus. He is illustrated and he is presented. And when we come to him, then of course we have life. I pray that you have done that. And so Moses is picturing Jesus here in what he does. I'm going to make the points. We have five of them today. And then have us read the scripture that illustrates the point. And so we'll begin. Point one is taken beginning with verse one. Notice here that Moses restores the broken law. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, he says. Be ready in the morning. What is he doing? The covenant's got to be renewed, and the covenant has laws. And Moses had broken the tablets that God had made and that God had uh, written on. And I used to think that the first time God wrote them, the second time God, uh, Moses had to cut them out, and then Moses had to write them. But it says very clearly there that Moses cut the tablets, took them up to the mountain, and the finger of God wrote on them. So Moses gets a little bit of a break, which is only fair because he isn't the one who broke the law. The people broke the law. And Moses breaking the tablets was just a symbol, a symbol of the fact that the covenant had already been broken. The agreement had already been broken. How quick we are as human beings to make commitments to God and then to violate them and then to break them. And this is why the covenant that we have, the new covenant that has been renewed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember at the Lord's Supper, he took the cup and he said, take and drink for this is the... New covenant, just like Moses was renewing the covenant here, except that Jesus said, it is a covenant that is in my blood. Why? Because we could never live up to it. We, like Israel, would break the covenant, but this is a one-sided covenant, and it is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we have an Old Testament in your Bible. That word testament could be called covenant. And we have a New Testament or a New Covenant part of the Scripture. And the New Covenant, like the Old, points to Jesus and the covenant that God has to make for us and with us. And it has to be upon Him because humanity, including us, as good as we think we are, could never, ever keep it. Now, what God is telling Moses here is similar to what happened before the golden calf. 
And uh, so uh, even though it is similar, it's still not the same. You'll notice that when Moses is told, carve out the tablets and then bring them up to the mountain, there is a striking difference between what happened the first time. In the first time, Aaron came with Moses. In this second time, we're reading about in chapter 34, no Aaron. Can you possibly guess why Aaron might not be invited to come up on the mountain? Yeah, it doesn't take much because he's the one that actually made the golden calf where the people violated the covenant. Uh, number two, this thing that Moses is doing, it points to a kingdom. In the days in which the Bible was written, kings generally occupied high places, mountains. The castle, the palace, the seat of government would be on the highest point of ground in the city. That was typical. You walked in, you said, oh, I can see where the king lives. Oh, what a glorious place. What a place of splendor. Now in Jerusalem, they wanted that to be the temple because that's where the king of all kings would dwell. But nonetheless, the king was still symbolized as being upon a hill, a high place, or a mountain. And when you notice here, Moses is presenting a kingdom. Moses is saying there is someone above us and I'm going to go up on the mountain and meet him. Okay, now don't make the mistake of thinking. That means God sits on the mountain. God's in the mountains. No, God had to come down to meet with Moses and Moses went up to meet with the Lord. Let's read this and it says, uh, as, as we've uh, left off where we were before, in the morning, and come up in the morning... To Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither let the flocks or the herds feed before that mountain. In other words, this is serious. You're meeting with me. Only you shall meet with me, and you keep everybody else away. I want there to be. Uh, a clear distinction between me, you, and everybody else. And the only reason you're coming up, Moses, is because of my grace. So when we think about the kingdom here, we're reminded that uh, Jesus, when he came to earth, what did he talk about? All the time you hear him talking about the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Telling people there's a different kingdom than the guy that sits on the throne in Rome. There's a different kingdom than the guy that is the puppet king, Herod, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. There's a different king than those who have the insignia on the, the soldier's uniform. There's a different king than the one who has his image on the money. All of those things that the world wars over, all of the things that the world argues over, all of the things that the world says, that's important, that's powerful. There's another king, and there is another kingdom. And Moses is saying to the people, I'm going up into a different realm I'm going up into a place that is by invitation only. You don't just walk into Buckingham Palace even, do you? Just because you want to. Go tell one of those guards there, I'm here to see the Queen of England. Oh, are you? And uh, why are you here? Ah, just passing by. 
Thought I'd stop in and see if she wanted to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something like that. It doesn't happen. The only way you come into the presence of royalty is by an invitation. You have the invitation and you have the credentials. And Moses is the only one who has the credentials to come into the presence of the king. Why did he have those credentials? By the grace of God. Moses didn't deserve them any more than anyone else. And we could sit and make the case, well, at least Moses didn't bow down or before or make the golden calf. No, but he was a murderer, so that's in one of the top ten commandments as well. But Moses is the one that is chosen by the Lord to come up and to receive these commandments. Moses is the one that is commanded to come, and the Lord tells him when to come. He tells him where to be, and he tells him how to prepare. And so bring the tablets and bring them up here and meet me at the top of the mountain. And again, Moses goes up to meet with the Lord, but the Lord comes down. And you see a picture in there even of the resurrection and the rapture that takes place as we are going to be taken up to be with the Lord. But you notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what is the Lord doing? He's coming down at that particular point. And that just tells us there's a higher realm of rule. There's a higher authority. There's a higher throne. There's a higher kingdom. And while this world wars over territory and money and resources and all of those kind of things, and ego even. There's a higher king. Don't ever, ever forget that. And we talked about that, of course, last week. And so Moses goes up by himself. The command is for him to come up at a particular time to a particular place. Let's go on to point number three. Because Jesus, just like Moses, told us of a kingdom that is not an earthly kingdom. He even said, my kingdom is not of this world it didn't originate here it's not about this world it is a kingdom that comes from the ultimate king and that is the king of heaven never ever forget that number three Moses in this obeys the will of God and you'll notice here as we read starting in verse four <clears throat> he does everything God says he doesn't fudge he doesn't come up with an alternative. Some of you are really good at coming up with alternatives. If your boss says, let's do A, B, and C, you go, ah, how about if we do D instead? Some of you as children, you were always good at doing that with your parents. Whatever your parents said, you had a better idea, a better time, a better place, a better way than what they said. And we try to act like that with God as well. This is what God says, and we know what it means when he says it, but we kind of go, well, um, I'll do it a different way. He says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, I'll determine what that is and how much that is. And I think we all understand that better than we'd like to realize it. He talks to us about being witnesses for Christ. And we always try to come up with, well, I think I can be a witness by, and then we come up with a different way than he said. And we're doing that because we always have an alternative. That is displaying the rebellion and the sinfulness and the stubbornness of our own hearts, saying simply that we want to be king, we want to be the queen of our own lives. And so when God says something, we act as though it's a suggestion. It would be a nice thing to do, and we don't really take it seriously. 
and we're far less serious about God than we would be about anybody who is an earthly power in our lives. And so when you notice this, Moses obeys the will of God. God says, make two tablets, just like the ones you had before, and then bring them up here. Now, can you imagine? Some of you would say, uh, Lord, why should I make these two heavy stone tablets down here and carry them up the mountain? I tell you what, it'd be better. Let me just make them after I get up there. Then I don't have to carry the heavy weight of the tablets going up. Sounds smart, doesn't it? Except it's not what God commanded. You don't have any choice to amend what God has said. You don't have any choice to ignore what God has said. You don't have the right to change what God has said. What he says is right. What he says is good. And so Moses obeys the will of God. Verse 4. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai. Look at this. As the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now, there must be something important about that because the deal about the tablets of stone is a repeated theme. That's hard work. That's tough work to do that. Moses is an old man at this point. It doesn't say that anybody helped him, and he probably would have refused help. Uh, if if uh, he, it had been offered even, but he carves it out. And then after he carves out the two stone tablets, you try it sometime. See how energetic you are when you get through with it. And then he has to walk up the mountain. And he walks up the mountain carrying the load and carrying and bearing the weight of what is going to be inscribed with the law of God. And I think about how Moses doing that and doing everything that God said, I think about the weight of that. I think about how tiring. I think about how heavy. I think about how cumbersome that would be. I think about how easy it would be if I were in Moses' shoes, carrying those tablets and thinking, as I'm out of breath walking up the mountain, if those people had only done right, this wouldn't be necessary. Have you ever thought about the fact that we take Jesus carrying his cross, bearing the weight of our sin, and we take it so lightly? Well, of course he died for our sins. We're such great people. Well, of course he died for our sins. He needed us. Well, of course he died for our sins. What would he do without us? Do you realize how ludicrous and idiotic that sounds? Can you imagine... Jesus would have every right as he was carrying that cross on the Via Dolorosa on the way to Calvary to say, if they had only done right, this wouldn't be necessary. Moses is walking up the mountain, gasping for every breath. Every muscle in his body is aching. He is tired. And yet he does it because he's being obedient to the Lord. Is it easy? No. It's exhausting. And yet he does it. Does he have the right to say if the people had just done right, this wouldn't be necessary? Yes, he does. 
But does that change anything? No, it does not. The will of God must be performed. And so Moses, step by step, trudges up the mountain, gasping for air, hurting, straining. And yet he fulfills the will of God because he's a picture of our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth and did nothing of his own initiative. Jesus himself told us, I don't say anything except what the Father tells me to say. And furthermore, he didn't do anything except what the Father wanted him to do. And even when he was in the garden, sweating as it were great drops of blood, he makes that wonderful statement, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Why? Going to the cross was the will of the Father. Isaiah chapter 53. For it pleased the Father to bruise him. We like to put it on Satan. Satan wanted him to do anything but go to the cross. We like to put it upon, some people say the Jews did it. Some people like to put it on the Romans. Isaiah put it where it squarely belongs. This is the plan of God. This is carried out by God. It was God the Father that did this to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was His will to do it. And it was the only way for us to be saved. Someone else had to do it. And they had to pay the price. And it had to be done completely. And thus it makes these words so much richer, sweeter, and powerful. It is finished. And then he gave up the spirit because it had all been done was it easy no I want you to think about the Lord carrying his cross I want you to think about the Lord after being beaten within an inch of his life I want you to think about him as he's nailed to the cross and the pain and the agony I want you to think about him as that cross is lifted up and dropped into that hole in which it stood I want you to think about the weight of his body coming down upon those nails. I want you to think about what it was like with the crown of thorns still on his head and with all of the wounds from the scourging and the beating are still there and they're still open. I want you to think about what it's like when he has to pull himself up on those nails in order to take a breath and as he has to release himself down to let the air out and up and down and up and down and up and down. And then I want you to think about that moment when the wrath of God comes upon him and with a loud voice he says, Why, my God, why, my God, have you forsaken me? It wasn't easy, but it had to be done or you could never be saved. It had to be done completely. And we see a picture of that in Moses carving the tablets Walking up the mountain to meet with the Lord. And number four, you notice here that when Moses does this, he reveals the names of God. What's in a name? Well, we don't really know that much about our names. We have to go to a Christian bookstore and buy a little plaque that says what our name means. 
And then we kind of forget it. Some of you may know, but most forget it. Most don't know. And most of the time when we name our child, we don't name them about anything other than, oh, this is a cool name, or these two sound good together, or something like that. But in Bible days, names meant something. They were very, very, very literal. Very literal. And so to reveal someone's name was to reveal who they really are. To reveal their heart and to reveal their character. And while Moses is on the mountain, when we pick up at verse 5, it says, Now the Lord descended. Remember, Moses went up, but the Lord came down. He's higher than the mountains. Descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him. That's covenant-making language there. They would walk before the sacrifice to make the covenant. Well, the Lord's doing the walking. He passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And somebody ought to say amen to that. But there's another side of God. This is the side of God the world doesn't understand. This is the side of God maybe you don't understand. Because just as true as those things are, and just as loud as your amen and hallelujah ought to be with those, it also says, this is God himself, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You think about that, and it probably ought to get very quiet. Our world is suffering because of sin. And while the Bible is clear, even in the Old Testament, children are not held responsible for the sins of their fathers. Let's also be honest, they are certainly affected by it. Think about it. Why do we have a sin nature? Because Adam sinned, our first father here on earth. And that was carried down through the generations till it got to you and to me, and we have passed it on to our own children. The sin that is in this world affects every one of us, the sin that is in this world affects governments, economies, morality, life and death. Why are so many babies murdered in their mother's womb? Because the sins of the parents are visited on the third and fourth generation. In other words, it continues on and on and on. Now, don't camp on that second part to the point that you forget the first point. And here's the, the wonderful thing. As we look at ourselves and seeing that if we stood before the Lord without a mediator, the Lord would say, I will by no means clear the guilty. Right? 
As we look at this world out here, we know the world is going to be judged one day. And everybody in the world is going to stand before the Lord. Is there no hope? Yes, there is hope. Because this same God is willing to give mercy and to give grace and to pardon the iniquity of thousands and to do it generation after generation after generation. Praise his name for that. And we look at the Lord and we realize we have an unbalanced unbiblical view of God he just sits in heaven rocking in the rocking chair taking anything that he can get and being a nice kindly doddering old fool or something like that and we don't find that when we look and we see as the name of the Lord is proclaimed can you imagine what Moses said when he got back down to the uh, flatland can you imagine as he talked to them and he said the Lord is the one who is willing to forgive. Yes, he judges. Yes, he hates sin. But he also, he also is the God who is willing to forgive. And he is willing to um, overlook. And he is willing to um, be the one who extends mercy to the ones who least deserve it. I mean, it's, after all, it's only back in Exodus chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. You look at all of this and you realize it doesn't take long for people to become unfaithful. Boy, we need a merciful and forgiving God. And these people were afraid. These people had seen the smoke and the lightning and the fire on the mountain. And they were afraid and they trembled in Exodus chapter 20. And they stood far off. And uh, then you know what they did? Didn't take long before they said, Give us gods that can lead us. And Aaron cooperated with all of them what a sad thing and that all came about because they didn't really know and they didn't really understand the Lord have you heard the story about the blind men and the elephant and the story goes that these blind men were looking uh, they came to an elephant and because they couldn't see all they could do is feel and one of the men grabbed the elephant's leg, and he goes, Oh, now I understand an elephant is like the trunk of a tree. Someone, another blind man, grabbed a hold of his tail and said, No, 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 you're wrong. The elephant is much like a snake. And on and on it went. You get the gist of it, because none of them could see. They only grasped certain parts of it. And that's the way we would be had it not been for the Holy Spirit, the ascension of the Lord, and uh, the giving of the word of God. And we think about that and we think about Israel. What all did they know about God? Oh, they were just learning. And they only saw God at various times and in various ways. And like the blind man with the elephant, when they heard the words of the Lord, they were quick to respond, okay, we'll do that. Then when they saw the smoke and the fire and heard the thunder on the mountain, then they were afraid, and that was their concept of God. And then when Moses doesn't come back for 40 days, they seem to have the idea of an absentee. 
absentee God. Just make us a God and get us whatever it is that we need because we can't make it on our own without anything that we don't see or anything that we can't put our eyes on or touch with our hands. And why are they doing that? Because they don't have a complete picture of God. So what is God doing when he speaks with Moses and as he uh, talks to him, he is giving a full characterization, a full picture of God, the fullest that anybody in this particular age had ever had. This is more than just a God who begins to show himself as an animal or as a piece of creation or something grotesque or anything. No, this is a kind, merciful, generous God. But at the same time, he says what he means and he means what he says. And don't trifle with him is the word that is given, of course, to Moses as he reveals to us the names of the Lord. Now, how do we see Jesus in that? Do you remember Jesus saying things like this? Philip said to him, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And Jesus made this statement, if you have seen me, you have, anybody remember? Seen the Father. Seen the Father. And they saw things, knew things, and experienced things about God that never happened in the synagogue. That never happened in the temple. That never happened in any other situation. This is something that is important. This is something that is personal. And this is something, this is something that opens their eyes. So they don't just see the part of the elephant. They see the whole thing. They see God. And they see him in all of his glory. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter, James, and John. As they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, the mediator, Moses, brings the presence of God. Look at verse 8. So Moses made haste, and he bowed his head toward the earth. That's, that's really falling low, isn't it? And worshipped. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and make us your inheritance. And so you find that grace makes Moses bow low. Grace makes Moses pray, especially for other people. Grace pleads God's character. Grace Prays back God's own revelation. He was in a sense praying scripture here. And notice here that grace causes him to identify with the people. Moses never bowed down before the golden calf. But did you notice how he said. Forgive our sins. Our iniquities. Did you notice that? Because the mediator identifies with the sins of his people. And he attaches the plea for the favor of Israel to himself. And he boldly asks God to make Israel his own possession. To take them as his own possession. And I want you to know 
And remember, that's exactly what Jesus did. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you think about Jesus, our mediator, what did he do? He identified with us by becoming a human. He identified with us as the sinless one by taking our sin on the cross. And when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, in a sense, wasn't he saying, on the basis of what I do, forgive repentant sinners and make them your own. And just as Moses prayed for them, Bring your presence into the midst of the people. Jesus said, if I go away, I will send another helper. And the presence of God is in our midst. In fact, it is inside of us even today. And when Moses said, take these people and make them your own. Here you are as a husband. Your wife has committed adultery on you multiple times. Now she says, take me back. And this is the picture of somebody taking back an adulterous wife and restoring her to the same position that she had before as though she is the most important thing in his life. Are you getting the picture of what God has done for you and what he has done for you through your mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, pictured by Moses. Folks, I want to tell you, this is no small thing. You are doomed without a mediator. And not everybody has a mediator. Not everybody has this standing before God. And you didn't get it because you're a fine person or you go to church or because you do some good things. You didn't get it at all because of anything you did. You deserved to be abandoned. You deserved to be annihilated on this earth. And you deserved to spend an eternity in hell. Oh, but you have a mediator. And his name is Jesus. And he is the one who has done all of this for you so that you have a boldness a confidence and a right standing with God and your security as we said at the beginning is not based upon your consistency and your inconsistency doesn't have the last word your mediator does and his word is final and his word is authoritative and his word is eternal praise his holy name you are secure in christ who is your mediator father we thank you today we don't have to come before you as a judge on our own doing the best we can hoping for a hung jury we come before you on the basis of our mediator Jesus became flesh. Jesus, as God in human flesh, lived a sinless life. 
Jesus died on the cross and identified with us, took our sin, paid for it in full, accomplished your will, and is the conqueror over death, hell, and the grave. Arose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He is our righteousness. He is the king. He is the ruler of our heart. He has revealed God to us, and it's because of him that we can access grace and mercy and your patience and your kindness toward us. Otherwise, we would be consumed by you, all to the glory of our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's how we cope with life. He's how we understand events on earth. He's how we persevere through the storms of life. He's how we come out victorious on the other side. His grace has brought us safe thus far. Grace will lead us home. But not because we stumbled on it, not because we were lucky enough to find it, but because our mediator has given it to us. And he walks with us every step of the way through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help that person who's struggling in their marriage to have the hope today to know they can persevere because of their mediator. Help that person with rebellious children to know it's worth it. Hang in there. Stand at your post. Keep praying and keep believing and doing right because the mediator is making it all possible. Help that person that is persecuted on the job to know it's worth it because it'll one day be all over, but they can endure it in the meantime, and it's effective and it's faithful because they have a mediator who makes it so. Help us understand that the reason we pray, and it's not just beating our gums together, it is powerful and it is effective because it goes before our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, help us to understand as we see this picture through Moses, as we think about our Sunday school lesson in the Ascended Lord, where would we be without our mediator? And we would have no hope at all. So praise be unto Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for standing in our place and receiving us when we die, that you might be glorified and that we might be kept safe in you because you keep your covenant. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray with joy and gladness. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.